I don't care if God ever shows me that this is for my good. I get to believe it. It's part of me. It's down in my toes. It's what the Bible says. Don't take that away from me. If, if God takes all, it takes everything, leave me the scriptures and don't let me ever doubt them. When I think about Larry's teaching, I think of freedom. Freedom from trying to do the impossible. Freedom from trying to earn favor with God by doing stuff. Freedom from thinking that following made up rules and traditions is in any way pleasing to God. Freedom to truly rest in the absolute certainty of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Freedom to know that the mountain of law is no hiding place. The truths I've come to know through Larry's teaching have truly changed my life, and I will forever be grateful for them. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted as so many were during his life. Before I begin this episode, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Have you been able to identify with any of the stories, either from Larry or from any of the guests? Have you resonated with some of the guests' stories about being made to feel less than or maybe leaving a legalistic church? Or are you hearing these truths for the very first time? I'd love to hear what you're thinking about the podcast and if any of these stories or sermons are resonating with you and specifically how they might be resonating with you. You can email me at thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. That's thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. In this episode, Larry continues teaching on the judgment of God in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 20. We're getting close to the end of the first section of Romans, which is the judgment of God. And Larry has wonderful words of salvation just over the horizon for us. After the episode, I'll give a few thoughts about the sermon, and then we'll conclude the episode with Mandolin's piano playing, and this week I'm going to have her play Redeemed. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. <clears throat> Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace that have they not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Father, again, we thank you for bringing us together. We're looking forward to 
this passage that we may see even further our depravity, that in the future we may glory in your mercy and your grace. We just ask that you teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now in verse uh, number nine, what then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Uh, now we're back on the Jews. We've been on the Jews through chapter two, all the way through into chapter three. Here Paul is saying, well, then is the Jew better? So there I will give you, he's talking about the Jews, the, the nation Israel. Down in verse uh, 19, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Again, that is the nation Israel. So we have the nation Israel on top, the nation Israel on bottom. But going on, it says that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. That's everybody. That's everybody. Back up in verse 9. What then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. So there's a, there's a, a lot of <clears throat> writing, there's a lot of preaching, a lot of uh, arguing, a lot of uh, uh, theological uh, debate on wh who this is talking to here. Now, who it's talking to most of the time is, is very important. But right here, I, I'm just telling you, I, don't want to I do not choose to deal with that. Uh, because up in verse 9 and also in verse 19 and 20, we see that that it's talking about everybody. It mentions the Jew first, just like in most of Scripture, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But nevertheless, we're talking about the whole world. We're talking about Gentiles. We're talking about Jews. We're talking about everybody. Now, up to this point, we have been discussing the judgment of God, the wrath of God, uh, the, 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 the judgment and wrath of God towards men. We have not been talking or we have not been preaching on the uh, depravity of man. We've been seeing this as God is going to judge each individual. And by now we can see that, that he's right, rightly going to do so. But we haven't taken the time, I have not taken the time to stop what we're doing and, and give a topical uh, time towards the depravity of man. Uh, and I'm not going to do that at this time either, but, but, but Paul now, by quoting Scripture, is going to bring in that doctrine of the depravity of man. Paul, in, in essence, said, if you don't know it already, you're sure going to get it today. That the reason God is going to judge is because men are depraved. And he's using Old Testament quotes uh, to bring out 14 different uh, depravities, if you will, of man. Uh, in any topical teaching on the depravity of man, a person should start with this passage, or he should end with it, or he ought to have it in the middle somewhere. You can't really teach the depravity of man without having this passage in there. Uh, it's very clear, very clear. It's so misunderstood and so uh, uh, unbelieved in the church today, but nevertheless, God's word still stands. So now with that small introduction, let's look at this depraved people that we are, as uh, in verse 10, it says, as it is written. Now, Paul is just going to start quoting scripture. He's made all these great arguments. He's shown all the different ways in which God is going to judge and why he can be right in judging man. And the last argument that Paul is now going to use, is he's just going to quote scripture. It's all Old Testament scripture. And uh, verse 10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. You would think that there have been many people down through history that have been righteous, uh, many people think they're righteous today. The Bible says very clearly there is none right. There has never been a right person in the history of the world. 
There he just there's never been a person that's right. Only God is right. Only God is righteous. And there isn't one single person whom have ever, who's ever lived that has been righteous. Uh, a doer of right. Adam was innocent, but he was not a doer of right. He was simply void. He was he was just there. He was n neither a sinner nor righteous. He was just in his innocence there until he fell. And after that time, of course, there has never been one person uh, outside of our Lord, of course, who has done right. We always do wrong continually. Given a choice, we will always choose wrong continually. There has never been anyone who does right. As we look out among people, friends, relatives, uh, people in the press, we think there are a lot of people doing right. There are people who have died for their convictions that weren't even religious, let's say. They died for their country. But there's always been that that evilness in them that would cause them to get into that situation. There was always that pride uh, and the envy of others that would cause them to act a certain way that we take as righteous, that we look as as good deeds, but but not before God. God says clearly there is none righteous. There is none who understands. Now here the word understands really has a, a greater meaning than what is just written in the word understand. Here it, it has to do with understanding spiritual truth. We do understand that 2 plus 2 is 4. We do understand different things. But as far as spiritual truth, there has never been anyone who understands spiritual truth uh, in themselves. Uh, the Bible is very clear on that. All through uh, the New Testament, Paul teaches that that, that our eyes have been blinded, that our, our ears have been stopped, uh, we, uh, seeing we do not see, hearing we do not hear. We do not understand spiritual truth. And that's the same today uh, in most of our uh, different churches and different denominations. We're, we're understanding what is logical. It is logical that this, this, and this took place, therefore I believe it. But that very logic that is that we understand shows our ignorance because the spiritual truth can only be given by divine inspiration. God's got to got to do it miraculously and show you the truth and show me the truth. And when he does, almost all the time, it's contrary to, uh, to what is uh, uh, right to natural reasoning. There is none who understands spiritual truth. There is none who seeks for God. Now, that seems odd. We have churches on every corner, and we've had churches on every corner down through the ages. We've had uh, the Muslims. Uh, uh, Christianity is a very minority religion, I understand, as far as the world is concerned. There are millions of Muslims and millions of uh, Hindus, and uh, we have the Jews. Uh, we have uh, the Christianity. We have uh, 147 different denominations in the Christian church. Uh, we have sects. We have all sects. We have all kinds of uh, different uh, bodies of, of supposed truth, and it would all seem that we're worshiping God. What's the deal here? The deal here is that everyone that builds the Muslims to worship is worshiping demons. They're worshiping other gods, uh, little g. They're worshiping uh, their, own, uh, their own figment of their own imaginations. Man must worship. We've been born, we've been created with that, with that thing within us that causes us to worship something. It's that little part of God-likeness that's within us, that was in our father Adam, that has not been totally destroyed. It's, been, it's now been corrupted and, and misused. 
but it's still there. Men need to worship some something, someone, and we do that, and we build temples to these beings, and uh, the whole Greek uh, mythology and all this comes into play. Uh, men would seem like on the surface they're seeking for God, but it, that they do not seek for God. They do not seek for God. Adam sinned in the garden and ran from God. And we find that God coming into the garden in the cool of the day saying, Adam, where are you? And that's the way God has been working every, sin, every, every day, every moment since. It is God who seeks man. It is God who seeks men out. It is God who finds men. Isaiah wrote, we're, we're like sheep who have gone astray. And it's God that comes and, and seeks us out. No man has ever sought for God. So we're in bad shape. No man has ever done right. No man understands anything. And no man ever seeks for God. This first two verses, you might, in an outline, you might put God as the judge. And then the verses 11 through 12, you might say God as a physician. And then verses 13 through 14, uh, uh, 14 through the 18, you might say that God is a historic, the judgment as an historian. But verse, uh, verse uh, 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. I think I brought this out in one of our, our, our lessons in, uh, excuse me, in uh, Corinthians. But a teacher once told me that the art of teaching, the first principle of teaching is repetition. And the second uh, principle of teaching is repetition. And the third principle of teaching is repetition. So if I've given this to you before, we'll, we'll do it again. This word useless. What does the word useless mean? Do you remember what I told you several months ago? Maybe I didn't tell you. Here again, just like I pointed out about the males and females over in Romans 2, the, the translators, they just didn't have the heart to tell us exactly what the word meant. And they, they have, uh, they have uh, watered it down. And a lot of the translators use the word unprofitable. But the word really is, is stinking or rotten. And the very clear meaning of the word is uh, food that has been spoiled. Rotten meat and rotten fruit. You ask any housewife, what, what can she do with rotten fruit or rotten meat? And she'll tell you absolutely nothing. It's not good for anything. It's unprofitable. It's just unprofitable. And we... We are rotten fruit. We are, the mankind is, is totally useless. We're stinking in the, in the eyes of God. We're stinking. We're corrupt. We're useless. We're not good for anything. <clears throat> the Old Testament, God says, on your very best day, the best day you've ever had, you're altogether unprofitable. Jesus, mimicking that Old Testament verse, said in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that that at the at very best you're unprofitable servants. At at your very we're all out trying to serve Jesus, trying to serve God. And Jesus has already told us that at our very best we're useless and we're worthless. Boy, I'll tell you the, the Christian or non-Christian, the, the flesh and the Christian or the the, the non-Christian, we, we're all out and we're trying to do all these things. And and we think we're so good. And the Bible clearly says we're rotten fruit. Now I hate to be that blunt. That's what the, the, the words of the scriptures, the words of the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we're unprofitable. There's a lot of folks that can be okay and still be unprofitable. These people are rotten. It's a, it's a positive thing. It's an active thing. You are rotten. We have become useless. We've become rotten fruit. There is none who does good. There is not even one. 
There is none who does good. If you'll remember over in the Gospels again, uh, Jesus was very... I get accused many times of splitting hairs, of making something big out of something that's little, but this is exactly what he did. You remember that world over there where, he, uh, where the fellow said, good master, called Jesus good master? And then our, our enemies uh, say, well, right there shows that Christ wasn't God because he told him right there that there was none good but God. But the, the, the fellow said, good master. And Jesus says, don't call me good master. There's none good but God. And they think that that means that Jesus told the man that he wasn't good. Only God was good. And that's not the case. What the man did was use a human adjective with a divine noun. He said, you human God. You good master. And Jesus says, you can't talk like that. You either call me a, a, a bad, I got it wrong. The, the, the good part was a divine word. The master was a human part. Either call me a bad master or a good God. But you can't call me a good, a, 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 a divine man. You can't, say, you can't put anything good to a man. That's what he was saying there. When the man said, good master, he said, no, don't call me good master. There's none good but God. You can only use the word good with God, and you cannot use the word good with man, except for my mother. No, no, not even your mother. Except for my child, except for my baby. No, not even your baby. You can't use, if the person is a human being, then you cannot use the word good. God says there is none good, no, not one. Now he goes from being the judge to the physician. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Their throat, my mouth, our throats, in the, that that was created by my mother and father, is death. Out of the heart man speaketh, man speaketh death. Man speaketh death. Man only speaketh death. And it's out of the mouth. It's out of the throat. When, you get, when you're sick, you go to the doctor. You may have a stomachache or a backache or your hip hurts or whatever first thing the guy does is look down your throat. I never could quite understand that. Why are you looking down my throat when my knee hurts? But the doctors know that you can tell an awful lot by looking down someone's throat. You can tell what kind of, what kind of physical uh, position they're in, condition they're in by looking down their throat. Well, here Paul says in the, by the Holy Spirit, their throat is an open sepulcher. There's death. There's death starting here and it goes all the way down. There's nothing but death. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. They keep fish baiting. That's, the, that's our word again. Remember, remember guile? We talked about guile before. <clears throat> Within, with their tongues, they keep guiling. My tongue is nothing more than a lure. When you go fishing, you, you, put, a, you put a worm on a hook and you, you, you throw the line out in the water. The fish thinks you're trying to feed him. But you know better. You're not trying to feed him. You're trying to hook him. You're trying to bring him home and clean him and eat him. And you, you've deceived that fish. You've lured that fish. And now we've gotten in our, in our plastic world where we don't even need the worm. We just, and we call them lures. We just got these little bug things that that got hooks all over them. We throw them out in the, in the, in the water and the fish grab them. The fish thinks it's something to eat. But we know better. We're, we're, we're luring that fish. And with this little tongue, that's what we do. Our throat is an open grave. Our throat is death. And with our tongue, we lure people. We try to catch people. So much talk about love and compassion. It's not within us to love. It's not within us to have compassion. We're totally dead, deaf, 
and our, our tongue does not praise, our tongue does not glorify, our tongue does not uh, build up, our tongue only tears down. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. A snake's, I understand that, that a snake, the, the poisonous part of a snake is in two teeth up here that when he's docile, when he's laying down, they're hidden way back up in his jaw. But the minute he raises his head, the teeth automatically come out. So just, just picture this horrible scene. You have death, total death, coming out of your mouth. Your tongue is deceiving. And, and with your teeth, you're, you're, you're poisoning people. And they're poisoning you. There's just nothing but poison everywhere. There is not even one. Why not? Why can't? Why shouldn't God judge? Of course God can judge. There's none who understands. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks for God. Uh, we're all rotten fruit. Uh, uh, our throats are an open grave. With our tongues, we, we deceive people. And, and we poison people with our mouths. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Uh, and there, just, just go down any street, any street anywhere, and just reach up and slap somebody on the face. Just, uh, just slap them. You'll find out real quick that this scripture is true. If they don't hit you first, you're sure going to get a cussing. And everywhere we go, we have nothing but just the cursing all around us. Uh, that's all we're good for, is just to curse God, curse Christ. Uh, why not with this, this sepulcher, this, this grave of death? Destruction and misery are in their paths. Destruction and misery are in their paths. Man is, man is a, a, a person who destroys. And man is a person who causes misery. Think of our wars. It's, it's, I've never been to war. And a, a few things I've said, I don't want you to think I'm a pacifist. I would certainly go to war. But it's the nature of the whole thing. The, the, why I'd even have to go to war. We, we, talk, we look at a cemetery. We go to Arlington Cemetery. In Washington, D.C., is that where that is? And, and we see the, the, the immaculate grass. It's just been cut perfectly. And we see the, the, the stones up. Colonel so-and-so, Private so-and-so, uh, lived uh, when he was born, when he died. And it's a, an emotional time force uh, that we see that our, our armed forces people die in war. But it's quite something else. It's quite something else to be walking on those battlefields as one man did with a stick. And he saw a shoe and he just nonchalantly hit the shoe. And out of the shoe came the bones of a, of a foot. And there's death in that war. And, and that's all that man is wanting to do is to conquer, to go to war, to destroy. <clears throat> the injustices of, in Africa years ago, we had the white man come in boats over to the, the, to the shores of Africa and steal the black man. Bring him to America and other places and sell him as property, sell him as slaves. Well, these black people in Africa, they knew they couldn't, they couldn't fight the white man. So they, they come up with this great idea. They got with him and said, look, leave us alone. You're about to wipe out our whole tribe and we can't produce any more black people for you. So leave us alone and we'll go into the interior of Africa and we will capture all of our black neighbors and we'll bring them to you. And you won't even have to go into the interior. We'll just bring them to the shore. You come by with your boats, pick it up and go. They thought that was a great idea. They did that. So we have total destruction and misery in Africa, even to this day, because of man's destructive motives. In China, China, the, the people were ruled by these horrible people called mandarins. And, and the whole country was, was under, under this, this horrible rule and death and destruction. And, and the guns of the British rang out 
And they destroyed the Mandarins and the British people. The British came and saved the Chinese from the Mandarins. And in the city of Hong Kong, they set up this man. His name was Sir John Boeing. And Sir John Boeing became the governor of Hong Kong. And he was a savior to the Chinese people. And he signed legislation to, to import in poppy so that he can his rich British people could, could have more riches, could, could devise more ways in which to, to, to persecute the people. And millions and millions of people in India and in and, and the surrounding countries became totally uh, 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 given to this, this opium. And here's this great savior of China, John Sir John Boeing, who allowed all this so that his people could, his, his friends could be richer and richer. And there was tremendous wealth made over this opium in this day. Sir John Boeing, a preacher in the Unitarian Church, preaching his lies. Let's turn to 226. Hymn number 226. This hymn is not peculiar just to this hymnal. You pick up any hymnal, any hymnal at all, and this hymn will be in it. Let's start reading. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life overtake me, hopes deceive me, deceive and fears annoy. Never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. What a beautiful hymn. When the sun of bliss is beaming, Light and love upon my way. From the cross, the radiance steaming adds more luster to the day. Ban and blessings, pain and pleasure, by the cross are sanctified. Peace is there that knows no measure. Joys are through all time a bride. Now look at the top left-hand corner of this hymnal and see who wrote this song. Sir John Bowring even was accepted in the Church of England was accepted in our church today, and we sing his songs, we sing his hymn. This, this corrupt, dope-pushing killer of millions. He was accepted, Sir John Bowie. The destruction and misery are in our paths. This man was corrupt, and not only him, but every other man is corrupt, and we, we bring him up, and we bring allegiance to them, and we sing their songs. He's done something that I will never get to do, and that's to, to, to write a hymn that would be published. I don't have the credibility, and you don't have the credibility. And yet here this, this dope pusher uh, did. The, uh, uh, more dangerous and, and more pathetic than, than most of the people in the world that we think were. Millions upon millions of people were addicted to this opium through his legislation. legislation in Hong Kong. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, and that's the cause of it all. I would suggest that each one of us, and me included, and everyone in the sound of my voice, whether they're Christian or not, fall down on their knees, knees and, and cry out to God and beg Him to forgive them for being a member of the human race. It's that bad. <clears throat> Their feet are swift to shed blood. War, war, war. A little bitty kids, four or five years old, they got to find out who's the toughest on the block. And we've got little, we got fights all over town in every neighborhood, in every apartment house to find out who's going to whip who. And that just never changes. That girl's right on up. 
you learn in business real quick that that same principle applies. You got to find out who's the toughest and they will do anything that they can to show you who's the toughest. Their feet are swift to shed blood. I, I hear horror stories about how these world wars get started. I'm not a historian. I don't even know if they're true, but, but they get started for all the different reasons that, than what we think. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. <clears throat> Paul writes many places in the New Testament that we as Gentiles, as opposed to believing Jews in his day, at one time were without hope, without God, without Christ. There is no hope. Believe me, there is no hope. There is no hope. Just get a 22 pistol and blow your brains out. Go on to hell and get used to the fire because there's absolutely nothing in you that's going to ever commend you to God. But, 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 but now, but now. If God, we've been learning that God is a God of wrath. The wrath of God is, is upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And if that's all we knew about God, let's just quit, close the book, and go home. But God is a God of mercy. God is a God of mercy. He shows mercy to whom he will. And that's what we're after. Let's go find God, and let's go find where that mercy is. Let's go find out where the blessings are. And in the Old Testament, it says that that Israel did, were seeking for the blessings and they were seeking in the wrong places. It's in Christ. We don't get blessed by God. We, we, we get in Christ. And there is where the blessings are. But now, we read next week. But now, so important. But now, God is a God of mercy. He shows, he shows mercy. He gives mercy to whom he will. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. Not only is he a loving God, the scriptures themselves say that God is love. What a tremendous story we've got to say. What, a, what, what news we've got. What absolutely great news we have. If we could just get it out of our heads that there was anything in us that would commend us to God. This commends us to God. This is, this is how we stand before God. What I've told you already this morning, as you already know, of course. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. I grant you that's G that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. That's us. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. How can it be if, if what I've just been saying is true above? How can this person above do anything to justify himself before God? Martin Luther said, it's easier, it is easier to convince people that the Pope was the Antichrist than it was that the just shall live by faith. And he is so right. He is so right. Paul in Athens was preaching and, he, and they had all these idols all over the place and the, and the people in Athens were a very religious people. And, and Paul preached against them and he, he tried to show who God was. And it's, the, the Bible says that some of them mocked him, but others said, well, Paul, we're gonna hear, we'll hear more about this. We'll, we'll hear this again. Now, if Paul could not convince the people in Athens that their religion was no good, which was produced by their own making, 
and that their idols were no good, which was produced, produced by their own making, how much tougher is it for us to convince people that we're not under law when, the, when that was produced by God Almighty? That's the hard part. It's easy to think, yeah, you can't trust in that idol. But surely we can trust in the law of God. He gave it. And if I'm wrong, if I'm right about that, then why did he give it? Why did he give it? And we're going to spend the next several months answering that question. Why did God give the law? Let's look briefly. Verse 20 of chapter 3 of Romans. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's one reason why the law was given. You don't get saved by obedience to the law. And you're not sanctified by the obedience of the law. The only thing you can do with the law is is see how sinful you are. By the law comes a knowledge of sin. Turning the page. Uh, chapter 3, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4. Now to the one who works, his wages is not reckoned as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Verse 13 of chapter 4. For the promise of Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. There's a couple things you can't put together. You cannot put together works and promises. They won't fit. They just won't fit. And you can't put together law in grace. They just won't fit. There are people who try to give you a little law and a little grace, or a little law and a bunch of grace, or a little works and a lot of blessing. It won't fit. It's separate. It's totally separate. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 5, for as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgressions might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And Paul made up a word there. <laughs> he made up a word that's not even in the Greek. It's not in any, any books, anywhere. It's not in any papers, anywhere. Where we understand the meaning of these words is we go to the dumps. Of the, of the, uh, pe we have people that go to the dumps. They, they, everything winds up in the dump, right? And they go there and they can read all these different words and find out how they were meant. But he, that's how we get Greek words. We know what the Greek words mean. Here, we can't find this word anywhere. It's not in existence on the planet, except in the Bible. Where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That word, Paul just made it up. Super abounding grace. Verse 14 of chapter 6. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are, under, for you are not under law but under grace. Verse 4 of chapter 7. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might, you, we've died to that law. The law hasn't died, but we have. That you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. That's another thing, problem. Something else that won't mix is the law in Christ. The obedience to the law in Christ. We're either in Christ, and he is our righteousness, or we're under the law, and our obedience to it is our righteousness. Verse 6, but now we have been released from the law, 
having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of, of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Uh, chapter 10 of Romans. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 2 Corinthians 3.14, 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, that's the law, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. The reason the people are blind is because they're trying their dead level best to get along with God. They're trying their dead level best to do what God wants through the law. And therefore, they have to ignore Christ. You can't mix the two. They won't mix. And the last one we'll turn to. I'm sorry. It's, uh, I don't have it written down. It was in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, I believe. Talks about the, the old covenant with all of its, uh, it, it didn't do any good. It was, a, it was something that failed. It was no good. It was meant to fail. But we have a better covenant. We have a better way of worship, and that is in Christ. I'm sorry I don't have that, that uh, scripture for you. Verse 10, chapter 3, Romans. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And right there I have the word bowing right there. Sir John. In the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin, but now. <laughs> but now in verse 21. And we'll get to that next week. Father, again, we thank you for this brief time. We pray that you will make this real in our everyday lives. That to non-Christians, you will show them clearly they have no hope whatsoever outside of, of your sovereign mercy and your sovereign grace, that they're truly lost and there's no way they can find themselves. And to we whom you've shown mercy, whom you have saved, whom you have justified, we pray, Father, that you'll just continually remind us of this awful passage, that we may quit trusting in our own flesh, that we could just trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we're looking forward to next time that we may look at the beautiful salvation in which you, you provided for us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the discussion part of the episode. Thank you for sticking around. It's just me this time. One of the questions that someone may be led to ask after hearing a sermon like this that is on the darker side, it is a sermon that puts us as humans in our place, is, but what about all of the good that seemingly man does? I think about that. I think about even in my own life or the lives of unbelievers, which we really don't even know. Many of them we don't know if they're unbelievers or believers. But mankind 
does do good things. We have charity work, we have innovation, we have beautiful art and beautiful music that we can listen to and that we can enjoy. What about all of that stuff? I pray that this is what Larry would tell somebody if he was asked that very question. The point of the first three chapters of Romans is to make sure that we understand that we have absolutely nothing to bring to God, to our judge. So in the eyes of God, your works are worthless and we are rotten. Our works are like rotting fruit or rotting meat. We are like rotting fruit, rotting meat. Our throat is a sepulcher. All of that great imagery, well, not great, but that imagery is to show how God views us in in a way in his role as judge. But that doesn't mean that there isn't what's called common grace that his creation enjoys, and we are creatures, we're part of that creation, and we enjoy the beauty of music and the beauty of art, the beauty of sandy beaches and vacations and um, innovation and, and things that mankind has um, been able to manipulate the creation in order to make our lives easy, for us to enjoy our lives. And uh, there are plenty of people that are giving and loving in a, in a human standpoint. So we feel those emotions from people around us. We feel they're loving us and we feel they're fun and great to be around. And that, that's the human experience that we have. That's God's common grace, giving these gifts to men and women that he created. It's the separation, though, between what we think we can do and, and the vast chasm between what we feel like our efforts produce and what our efforts actually produce in the eyes of God. So Paul just leaves all of that on the table so there can be no doubt that we need a Savior. That would be something that I might tell somebody if they raise that objection. My dear uncle can play the violin like nobody else, and that brings me joy. Are you saying that his work is like a filthy rag? Um, his, his throat is a sepulcher? No, not to his audience, not to his family, not to somebody who might listen to the lovely violin music. To God, it is. Last week, Joy talked about the ladies who couldn't couldn't handle much more of the judgment of God and couldn't handle much more of the description of how they actually are towards God. I identify with that this week as I was listening to the sermon. Even I got a little bit like, man, <laughs> let's get out of Romans 1, 2, and 3. Let, let's get to the good stuff. Like Joy said, you know, Larry's patience and his studiousness to the text requires that this part of Romans be made clear, be made just as clear as the wonderful, beautiful words in the later chapters. There is a part of this sermon that I just love, 
And um, in conclusion, I'm going to leave you guys with that clip. I think you'll probably, if you listen to the sermon closely, you'll probably know which part of the sermon um, I'm talking about. I'm going to replay that. I just have to. Uh, just just the best description of, of the contrast between Romans 1, 1 through 20 and Romans 3, 21. And then finally, I'll play Mandolin's version, her arrangement of Redeemed. Because there's absolutely nothing in you that's going to ever commend you to God. But, 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 but now, but now. If God, we've been learning that God is a God of wrath. The wrath of God is, is upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And if that's all we knew about God, let's just quit close the book and go home. But God is a God of mercy. God is a God of mercy. He shows mercy to whom he will. And that's what we're after. Let's go find God and let's go find where that mercy is. Let's go find out where the blessings are. And in the Old Testament it says that, that Israel did, were seeking for the blessings and they were seeking in the wrong places. It's in Christ. We don't get blessed by God. We, we, we get in Christ. And there is where the blessings are. But now, we read next week, but now, so important, but now, God is a God of mercy. He shows, he shows mercy. He gives mercy to whom he will. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. Not only is he a loving God, the scriptures themselves say that God is love. What a tremendous story we've got to say. What, a, what, what news we've got. What absolutely great news we have. If we could just get it out of our heads that there was anything in us that would commend us to God. for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast.